0: Hello. Shavuato, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, As you know, I started this podcast for a variety of reasons Um, because, you know, different divorce clients have come to me with questions that don't really pertain directly to divorce law. And I wanted to engage other professionals because a lot of people going through this don't really understand holistically the divorce process. However, I think the most important thing is, is that people don't get to my office. People understand there is a healthy stop prior that in a lot of instances, I believe that speaking to the right couples therapist can actually, you know, solve a lot of different issues um, before going to a divorce lawyer. And it's funny because our guest tonight, David Mark and I um, had a chance to talk a little bit before um, the actual recording and you know, we were talking about therapists that give bad advice, and just Friday, a woman called me and had received such horrific advice from a therapist, um, and I actually said to her, you know, you should call this guy David Mark, and she was like, oh, what's am end, but um, David has unbelievable credentials, unbelievable reputation. It happens that David and I know each other for a little bit. Our daughters are friends in the same class, and I reached out to a colleague of mine and said, I really want to interview a couples therapist. And they said, oh, there's this guy, David Mark, locally. Um, You know, they started going on and on about him. So then I was like, oh, I actually know David Mark. So um, I had the opportunity to speak with him a little bit. um, And David's going to give us some experience. And I think he agrees that, you know, if you find the right person, then the divorce process doesn't have to start. So without any further ado, I'm going to introduce David. Hi, thank you
1: so much, Jacob. So just to kick off on the, one of the points that you mentioned about being one of the stops and you know the, the, the research, um, I follow a lot of research. I, I love research because it helps um, me to help couples. Um, but the research out of the Gottman Institute from John Gottman is um, that 80% of individuals providing couples therapy have no advanced training in couples therapy. But they do it anyway. And it's kind of like any field, right? If you're if you're if you're a lawyer, you could do whatever kind of law you want. If you're a therapist, you can see whoever you want, right? The, the field doesn't monitor for that. What's interesting is there's an organization called Relief that many from Jews have heard of. And that is they make the most referrals um, to orthodox therapists. And um, you know, in order to get on their referral list, they interview like 10 people interview from Relief. And they, I shared this information with them. They actually told me in the firm world, 90% of therapists providing couples therapy have no advanced training. You know, and as a consumer, how would you know that, right? You go to a therapist, you're like, oh, this person's a therapist. Um, the part that I, I've, I've um, what should I say? I've obsessed about working with couples. I love love. Um, and I really love helping people repair and heal and get back whatever love that they're looking for, maybe that they once had, maybe that they never had and they're looking to build. Um, so, so the first thing, to, you have to know what questions to ask as a consumer um, in looking for a
0: therapist. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'm going to kind of hit you with two questions. So I'll, I guess I'll ask them both at once. So question number one is um, perhaps I'm more ignorant than a lot of the listeners, but I don't know exactly like what advanced training means. So that's my um, thought. Let's answer nice. the first question first. Okay, go for it. You hold on to the second question. Okay.
1: <laughs> so what does it mean advanced training? So I have advanced train. I'll talk about myself just because that's what I can reference. So, so the advanced training, I would say falls under two categories. One is Is the therapist gonna be using a research-based method where where scientifically we looked at something and we said, oh, this worked scientifically or scientifically it didn't work. And then the other um, question is, what training have you taken? So my, my, um, I don't go any, I don't go near anything and maybe this is a flaw. I don't go near anything unless there's science behind it. In the same way in my health, in pursuing health, I don't go near something unless I know that there's some science behind it, you know? Um, I, I even waited to take the vaccine until I, both vaccines until I saw what the science was spitting out. But, but again, that's, that's, that's my own thing. Um, advanced training, so there's two, there's two leading methods in couples work um, that are backed by a lot, a lot of science. So John Gottman's been researching couples for probably over 50 years. And Sue Johnson has been researching couples probably for about 30 or 40 years as well. Both of these methods are backed by a lot of science. Now, what does advanced training mean? So specifically, there, look, in any training, you can become fully certified, which I call a black belt in a certain methodology, right? So and becoming fully certified in each of these methods takes approximately two to three years. And I would say maybe feelings of rejection because as you're training, um, that's not good enough. You didn't get it right. Go back, you got to get it right. And you have to do this a lot of times in order to get it right so that way they can say, you know our method. So so this is super important to know. Anybody that went to mental health graduate school, licensed mental health counselor, LMHC, licensed social worker, LM or LCSW, Um, a doctorate in psychology, a PsyD or a PhD, Uh, LMFTs, right? They're the only ones that have the LMFTs are the only ones that have the specialty training to work with couples, licensed marriage and family therapists. Everybody else has maybe taken one or two courses in family therapy or family systems. And look, I'm getting into very detailed stuff now because you asked about advanced training, um, but again, in all these, in, in these two schools, the Gottman school and the Johnson school or the attachment uh, therapy for couples. Um, so in these two schools, there's different levels of training. So as a consumer, you want to say, hey, you say you have training in Gottman. What what training do you have? And what what does what does that train? I have a level two sort cert- I'm level I'm level two in Gottman. What does that mean? How many days have you trained? And they should say, I've trained for five days to have a level two certification. No, you're laughing, but that's what it is, Jacob. <laughs> I know it sounds funny, right? So, so, right, and a level three would be, would be five, would be nine days of training.
0: Right.
1: So, so is that sufficient enough? I don't think so. Where I sit, I, like, I, I would need, like, if I was looking for couples therapy for myself, I would not go to anybody with less than being certified in a scientific method not i have a couple of days of training or or i trained with right because in the johnson method you have a four day externship of of four day externship so you go for four days of training then you go to these what's called core skills you go for for five two day trainings it's a little bit more it's 10 days plus four is 14 days so Right, and then and then both methods require one-on-one supervision until you get their
0: method right.
1: So adv- that's what
0: advanced training means. Yeah, um, wow. you know, it's an amazing thing to me because, like, if you're hiring a plumber, imagine <laughs> if you were here, hear, "Yeah, this guy's observed someone else do it," you know, two or three times. Like, could you imagine, like, your entire house is going to be this is like this is the future of someone's life and family. They're willing to not look into it deeper, which is absolutely mind-boggling to me. It's such a great point. And
1: I don't think it's not that they're not willing. Look, people obviously call me in desperation. So it's not that they're not willing. And they don't just call me, they call any therapist in desperation. But it's such a great point with the plumber or the electrician. Would you hire a plumber who said, yeah, I have 10 days of uh, training, right? No way! You wouldn't. You wouldn't go to professional for that but now you're going to put your life your spouse's life your children's lives in the hands of this one person and and with 10 days or less or 20 days of training you're going to go trust them it's such a great point
0: thank you no i appreciate that um let me ask you another question i had here just based upon what you've been sharing i know sometimes i'll get calls from clients and clients will say to me like where did you go to law school you know or like, you know, what kind of cases have you heard? And a lot of times I'm like, question bothers me. You know, and I almost feel like, you know, you're referring to me by someone else, like, why are you questioning my credentials? Like, I'm good, I'm good at what I do. Like, I don't want to discuss this with you. Like, if you're not interested you know, you in me and what I can do, like, go find someone else. Like, is that something like therapists would kind of react? Well, I mean, that's obviously, I don't know how other lawyers react and that's my own issues, but, <laughs> <laughs> but like, are most therapists going to answer that question? Like, what kind of training do you have? So I don't know what most therapists do,
1: but I can tell you what I do. I have absolutely no problem sharing my training, sharing my background, and sharing my experience. And on an initial phone call, you know, I'll say, "Oh, what, what, what can I do for you? Tell me how I can help you." You know, and there are times on an initial phone call where I can't help. I'll say, "Oh, I don't think I can help you." Or Maybe I think you need individual therapy here. I'll, I don't talk about any of my clients or couples ever, but I'll make up a scenario where, where someone calls me and partner A says, yeah, my, my spouse is in the middle of an emotional affair. And my spouse made it clear that they don't want to let go of this person. And I'll say, that's not, though. you're not right for couples therapy. If your spouse doesn't want to let go of this person, then, you know, I can't create a bond between two people while one partner wants to still be in another relationship. So I have no problem with people asking me about my background, my training, my experience, pretty much anything about me. Um, I'm I'm fairly open because um, I think it's important for couples to know that I am also a couple. And there are times that I also struggle in my relationship with my wife. And that's cool because my struggles bring us closer together. And that's the goal when you have conflict. Where there's conflict, there's intimacy. And, and um, conflict is adaptive and necessary for good, healthy relationships. The key is how do you dance through that conflict so you could do the most beautiful salsa that you would like to do with your partner if you like to salsa dance.
0: Okay, so, so you definitely you handle that. I feel like I understand it better now. So here to me is the biggest issue. And I've seen this so many times. Um, I'll give you an example, right? Like um, one of my first clients recently called me. uh, She's been dating someone for a little bit and she wants to sit down with this individual, you know, with a couples therapist. And she says to me like, where, where do I go to find therapy? And that's not even just for couples therapy, but like in general, like how do people know where to go? Like, you don't want to go to your friend's like, By the way, like my, you know, my wife and I, or my husband and I are killing each other. Our marriage is atrocious. Like who would you recommend to help us out, right? So you can't get like, referrals are hard. It's not like asking for a lawyer or an accountant or a doctor or something else, right? Where there's, you know, there shouldn't be stigma and shame in it, but people still feel like there's stigma and shame, right? So people yeah. tend to be very, very nervous about it, and then people go oh, like online. Psychology today, me it's like some of these lawyer sites, like Martindale and Nolo, like anybody could just pay and get on the site. I would think psychology today found something similar, like. How would an outsider or how would some original world even figure out where to start digging? So, right. So that's part of the problem,
1: right? Everybody's marketing. Everybody could do a Google ad campaign. Everybody could put themselves on psychology today. I think like, you know, you know, a show like this gives out information to help people ask the right questions. Right. And so where do you go? I mean, look, you know, I would first. I mean, look, and again, it's hard because the people that have had successful couples therapy, I think they're willing to talk about that and share that with friends. Um, um, the people that haven't had successful couples therapy, I don't think they're willing to talk about it. So, right, you can't stand up and shul um, and ask. It's hard. You have to, I, I would say a good place to start is to you know, learn how to ask the right questions and then call those therapists. And if you can trust yourself, a good place to start is with is, is with is yourself. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. No. No. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. But the problem is, also like, you know, somebody's gonna pull a hour, and, to third hour, and all of a sudden they'll feel
1: okay. mm-hmm. I'm I'm losing you. I can't hear you. You're fading in and out, Jacob. Sorry. Oh
0: no. So what I, what I was saying was, you know, Much very better. easily, people can feel as though. Um, they connect the therapist in the first call. I guess it's important, you know, uh, I always tell clients also like call two, three lawyers. Don't just speak to me, you right. know? And, you know, therapists also like call three, four, five therapists and compare, like, don't just settle on the first one. Yes, I think that's great advice
1: because even in an initial conversation, um, you could be able to pick up on, does this person have a feel for what couples therapy is? Um, right, so, so my first phone call, um, I talk about my assessment process because without a proper assessment process, how can I possibly know what the targets are and if I can help you get there? So, right, so same thing, you know, um, same thing if you go to a doctor. If there's no assessment, then you should run. No doctor ever gives out amoxicillin when you say, oh, my throat hurts, right? They they do an assessment. Let me look at your throat. Let me listen to your lungs. Let me look at your ears. So what's important what to look out for is, did this person or does this person provide an in-depth assessment? My assessment process alone takes seven and a half hours from start to finish. Holy cow. So I meet two hours with the couple, an hour each with the, each of them alone individually. I also have forms they fill out off my website. I also have an online assessment I have them fill out through the Gottman Institute. It takes me, um, I, I it takes me like about um, four to five hours to um, you know organize, summarize, and collaborate all this information, and then I put it together on a treatment plan. And in the third session, I take about 90 minutes to go over that treatment plan. Um, I know I rattled off more than um, seven and a half hours, but because it takes me so long to organize and summarize, I only charge them for two of those hours as a, as a cap, because it's already so expensive. You know, that, and that's another, it's another really difficult thing in the field is people with more experience and more training are expensive people that typically take insurance and, I, and again, it's just been my experience don't have any training.
0: I can't hear you Got? I think you have to. Oh, move. sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Can you hear me now? Yep. Perfect. Okay. Sorry. So, you know, I think often when it comes to, you know, life situations, especially therapy, you know, the easy road is the hard path, right? I, I right. think that comes up a lot. So, um so let's say you have couples that are going through certain struggles and you know a lot of the questions that i got from people online related to like the actual techniques so like if people are going to therapy let's say even they get someone who is who does have the credentials you mentioned like how do they have a sense that the sessions are going the right way like what should they be seeing what should they be asking yeah like how do you get a sense of that that's such a great question. So this puts this
1: puts that question really puts me on the fire, which I don't mind being. I like living on the fire. I love living right? on the fire. Yeah. So so therapy should feel good. What does that mean? So individuals have all humans have a large range of emotions, right? Um, and a lot of times, you know, sad things come up, so you can feel sad. But when I say when I say something like, have you ever um, said any of that to your partner or have you ever experienced this type of conversation before? And both of them say, no, you never did that. And what does that feel like? It feels good. I call that a corrective emotional experience. And what that does to the brain is there's a concept in um, neuroscience called neuroplasticity. So neuroplasticity basically says that the the brain is very moldable. And with new experiences, you can make new connections in pathways in your brain. And then your brain starts to rely on these new pathways. So what that looks like and means is, am I experiencing something that I can call a corrective emotional experience or is it something new and different? And then ultimately when I keep experiencing these things, it feels good and I can use it when I leave the office. And when I use it when I leave the office, that's when that's where that's what I love to hear the most. Right? I I tell couples that I'm responsible for what happens in the room. But when you leave here, you're responsible for what happens when you leave here. And the therapy doesn't happen in the room, the therapy happens when you leave.
0: Right. Okay, so so that makes sense. But those are things. I've never heard before like, I've never heard those things before so that's like I, I'm so happy that you know I asked you that question yeah okay, I'm gonna ask you another question that starts with somebody who pinged me online with a question and expanded I just can't sure so, sure so I'm, I'm gonna start with a question that somebody asked me online and I'm gonna tweak it and expand it a little bit further than what she asked so this young woman her question was as follows she's divorced and her husband was homosexual Okay. Okay. Her ex-husband was homosexual. Yes, correct. So um, about two or three years into the marriage, he disclosed it. And and shortly after that, they started to wrap up the marriage. So my question, I'm going to expand her question a little bit more. My question is, are there things that on their face right away are fatal that couples therapy can't help? Such as someone is homosexual. Someone might have a severe mental health issue. Someone might have an addiction issue. There might be like domestic abuse like, which of those things are fatal? How do you decide what's fatal even before the process starts? Uh,
1: oh, so that's, that is a great question. You're, what, you're at, what I hear you asking, tell me if I got this right, is what are the contraindications to couples therapy? Yeah. Good. So when there's active, intimate partner violence, right, domestic violence, um, okay. or like an order of protection, I will not. You, I'm not a part of that. I'm not going to be an enabler- to that couple Um, and and if there's any sort of ongoing aggression, that couple's not ready for couples therapy. It's physically and obviously emotionally unsafe. So that's the number one um, rule out. Um, The number two definite rule out we already discussed, right? If one partner says, yeah, I got this partner but I'm not totally ready to let go and I don't wanna be honest about this partner So I won't be involved in that either because if partner A has an outside partner, how can I then be an accomplice to this secret? That's problem one. And problem two is not just being an accomplice to the secret, um, but I can't create a bond between partner A and partner B if there's a third partner involved. Because partner A doesn't have, it's like hokey pokey. I got one foot in and one foot out. And the hokey pokey in relationships doesn't work, you know? Of
0: course
1: not. Yeah. So the third scenario is a little bit trickier. Um, The third scenario is about addiction. So if the addiction is active and it is running amok of the relationship where it's just completely unstable to create any sort of bond, I won't provide couples therapy. A lot of times the addiction is there or untreated. Usually when it's untreated addiction, it's very hard to begin couples therapy as well, but the line isn't as hard as it is for the other two scenarios. I guess it depends how much mess is in front of us when there's an addiction that's untreated. Yeah. So my boundaries are very clear on when I should or shouldn't begin couples therapy. And again, a therapist should know these answers. They should have clear boundaries.
0: Right. Right. And I guess guess those are some of the issues where people really, they're inexperienced. And if you really don't know your way around, you can't have those hard standards because you really don't know what you're doing. Right. And by the way,
1: I'm not smart enough with all of my degrees and, and credentials, like you said, to know any of this on my own. Right, I've trained like a beast over the last um, forever, and I still train. I train in the form of reading books. I train. I'm always looking for my next training. That's that's. I love learning, um, and I'm I'm about to rev up that engine for myself because I am proudly about to defend my doctoral dissertation, which is wow. cool for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm about to figure out what my next training is as it relates to couples.
0: Interesting. One second. So can I ask you what your doctoral dissertation is? Yeah. It's confidential. So,
1: no, it's not confidential at all. Um, so I did a study on um, well, so I went to the Azraeli School of Graduate Jewish Education, something like that, which is why use why use school of education. Right. Um, so I am about to defend my doctorate. My study, another area that I'm passionate about or, or in, is working with um, teenagers, adolescents. Um, so I did a gratitude study, three gratitude interventions on um, on high school on high school boys, and um, because I teach in DRS one period a day for the last seventeen years, or at least one period a day, um, that was my sample. Um, yeah, it was cool, and 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 all of my education obviously makes me a part of who I am. So that really, really helped me as well. It's complex how it fits into couples, but you'll just have to trust me.
0: I, I trust you blindly.
1: <laughs> it's not the blindly. reason. Why, it's not the reason why cu- couples should call me because I have a doctorate in education. That would not be sufficient. Right.
0: No, you know? I, I mean obviously, you know. But I, I'm sure you know. It also has implications in terms of when there are children involved in divorce. And I know you're not seeing the kids typically at the same time, but but I'm sure it kind of plays in to that also.
1: Well, yeah, that's a great, it's a great thing that you're saying because there's a study called the ACE study, adverse childhood experiences. Basically there are 10 questions that are asked um, and they're just yes or no. Um, And they're pretty invasive questions one of the questions that's asked is um, were one one or both of your parents ever lost to you through divorce abandonment or another reason so it's actually considered a pretty significant adverse childhood experience if your parents are divorced
0: yeah i mean that that would make sense
1: yeah yeah so 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 it's 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 a it's a pretty big thing you got to think about um if and when you do need to get divorced
0: okay that's no it's, it's very interesting I, I mean it's consistent with what I've seen also so I mean yeah wow well, okay um, I, I am going to be selfish for a moment and put one of my questions above the you know the, the viewers the listeners how you want to put it um, so one one of the questions that I have is very often people come to couples therapy I, I would think it's very very rare where people either say okay look this behind us and work together, or that they say, you know what, it's really more my fault than my spouse's, and I want to work on myself. I think most people come in, and, and the husband's telling you, "Yeah, my wife, she's so she's so uptight, she loses her cool all the time," and the wife saying, "My husband's so lazy." Whatever the dynamic might be, like, how do you break through that? Like, how can you possibly break through that? It's such a great question.
1: So you know, there's um so the way I the way I see it is. Um, and again, this is all part of my training. I think my brain is so focused on both partners and I'm a fan of both of them. And I'm trying to make sense of each person's world. And as I do that, you know, I'm not trying or looking to shame or blame either partner. I'm really just trying to figure out their dance with them. So when we and look, if I see, you know, destructive behavior, it, in a conversation, you know, I'll say, you know, John Gottman found uh, these four horsemen, right? Um, Criticism, defensiveness, stonewalling, uh, um, contempt, and stonewalling. So if I hear one partner always making you statements, I'll say, you know, Gottman found that if you do that with the 92% accuracy and and prediction rate, you're gonna end up divorced if you continue to do that. If you name call and talk down to your partner, you know, that's acid on the relationship, that's contempt you can end up divorced without getting an intervention. So I'm able to, I know the markers that hurt relationships and hurt conversations between couples. So I can point them out and I ask permission. It's done very gently. It's not done in a shaming way. You know, there are times that, you know, there are times that, um, that I do them too, because my guard is down, you know? Um, and I, I don't want to do that to my wife. So look, and taking responsibility is a very hard thing. It's hard for everybody, right? Nobody wants to look in the mirror, but when we do, that's when we start to see the change happening. Because once we stay in our lane and realize what we can change, and when we do our own work, that's when that's when we start to see some downgrading of negativity. <clears throat> that's the first goal. The first goal is to downgrade negativity or de-escalate the cycle. Yeah, the next goal is to upgrade positivity, or, or, and, 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 rest- and the way you do that is by restructuring the bond that they have. Um, and couples need help with ongoing, ongoing management of conflict and, um, and, and how to talk about the past. We can't just brush the past away and brush it under the rug. The brain doesn't let us do that.
0: Does all that make sense? Yeah. So it sounds like you also have to kind of address the past in order to look at the full picture. But, you know, it, it sounds like if, if I'm understanding you correctly, to show both spouses that you really care about them, you believe in them, but you have to look past the conflict at the same time.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I don't really, I I, I don't find myself, and I have to be careful even when I say this because I'm human, and i have biases like all humans but i don't judge people when they're angry or hurt i'm able to see i'm able to pretty i'm able to pretty quickly see and dig up and find the pain you know and really that's that's why people come in they're in pain you know they're they're they're, they're not their partners don't see them their partners don't hear them um, and that's painful because we all want to be seen and heard They want to to get access to their partner. They want their partners to be responsive. They want their partners to be engaged. And sometimes people don't know how to do that. And they do it in funny ways. You know? Yeah. So I help them do that in healthier ways. And the word funny can be exchanged for destructive, I think. (laughs) It's It's not so funny when you're partner calls you a four letter word.
0: No, uh, no, a hundred percent. And it becomes, I mean, I would think it becomes commonplace because people get so frustrated with their spouse and, you know, they don't have another way to like kind of have an outlet to their anger.
1: Yeah. And really what's happening underneath all of those emotions are, can you please see me? I'm here. I need you. But nobody, but those are more vulnerable words that are harder to access when you're angry.
0: Right. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. I totally get that. People tend to freeze up. Um, okay, so another question that I have is let let's say somebody comes to you, and this is like, you know, like like I said, I'm going I'm going for the jugular here. Yes. Somebody somebody comes to you and you know, they're talking during a session, and they say something like, you know, my rabbi said to do this. <laughs> Right, and it's, it's a spiritual advisor. You don't right. want to show any disrespect. It doesn't matter if it's a rabbi or a priest or an iman or a sheik, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but it's like, now you're between a rock and the hard place because A, you have to save this couple, but at the same time, like you almost feel probably like, who am I to like disrespect this person? So like, what right. do you do in a scenario like that?
1: So, so I just want to correct some of your language
0: respectfully,
1: Jacob. I, okay. don't, have, I don't have to save anybody. Right. Okay. That's I'm, true. I'm here for the couples. Should they want help? Um, um, so back to the, back to the, so that's a great, the rabbi said, you know, so the first thing I would ask is I would say, and I'm assuming you're talking about a from couple, right? Yeah. Um, so the first thing I would say is, um, you know, does your rabbi have any training if you know, in working with couples? or working with couples in addiction recovery or working with couples in affair recovery. And then of course they all would laugh, right? Cause that's a funny question. And I would say, I understand that your rabbi wants to help, but in the same way that I won't answer any questions about Nida or Halacha, I, I think that we should talk about what you think about this issue and see if I can help you. So I kind of shift the focus off the rabbi who most likely doesn't have any training or, 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 or academic background in working with couples. Um, you know, and I shifted on to me because I want to try to help them with what the information they have. And it's really about staying in our lane, you know? I'll never tell a couple what to do as it relates to me, I swear. If they ask me, I'll, I'll defer to my local Orthodox rabbi. Not, I, I won't answer those questions. So I think it's really about can we stay in our lane, you know, and I try to do that obviously with the utmost of respect and honor because I like religious leaders, you know, same here. You're aware that your picture is changed. Yes. Good. <laughs> <laughs> you're suddenly changed your shirt and you're not moving. Yes, it,
0: it is more my professional picture. Got it. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes my video gives me a tough time here so I decided to turn it off. Um, I don't know why all of a sudden, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's a great way of handling it. it it's um, it, it's a very tricky place to be. You know, I mean, I see this also in my practice. People come to me and say, oh my rabbit I should handle it like this and handle it like that. And, uh, you know, do this strategically. And, uh, you know, it, it's got nothing to do with, you know, divorce law or advocacy or anything else. Right. Uh, yeah, it's it just, you know, it's not their area of expertise. And, you know, one of the things, you know, and this is just my own two cents. This is not, you know, as a lawyer and, uh, you know, I'm certainly not a therapist. But people look back to a time where, you know, Terra was, like, all-knowing. Like, I am sure that De Villa could have seen couples together and through knowing the tire, he could have seen every last facet of what had to be done. Yeah. But today, I I you we don't, what'd you say? I think I would even agree with you on that. I, I just think that, you know, today's good are not as far reaching in the same way. And I think that to save a marriage, and you know, you said, of course, not to save, but you're definitely, number one, I know how much you care about people coming to your office. And number two, even if it's not your goal to save, but by giving them your all, of course, you're, you know, going a long way towards that. Not that it's always going to work. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important to defer to every person, you know, to every expert for whatever the issue might be.
1: Yeah. It's no different than, than, than hearing somebody say, oh, my, my friend said, or, or my, my friend who's a therapist said. And then, then that friend therapist probably falls into the 80 or 90% that aren't trained either, you know, but, but it's, it really doesn't matter what anybody says. I'm confident in the work that I do. I'm confident in the training that I have, you know, and that's really what matters. The therapist should have a roadmap or a plan for what you bring to the table. And if somebody brings something to the table that they don't have a roadmap or a plan, the therapist should say, Whoa, I don't know how to do this. Let me see if I can find someone to help you who
0: does. I I think think that's wise. Yeah. I I mean, to me, that's also one of the things that makes me trust a professional is if I go to them and I ask them a tough question and they say, you know what? This question I haven't seen. I've been doing this 45 years, but I've never seen this before. You know, the, the ability to kind of be humble in that respect. Now, if they're saying that every five minutes, I know I'm also in the wrong location. Right. You know, that that makes me a little bit nervous. Right. So, um, okay. So another thing I'm going to read this, this is a question from one of the viewers. And the question is, let's say somebody comes through your office, you know, a couple and the husband, let's say, for example, is gung ho on changing. And he says, this is a new process. I want to save the marriage. Like, tell me what I have to do. Like, if I have to validate more, clean up more, go on vacations, date nights. Like, whatever you're going to tell me, that's what I want to do. I want to make things better. And the wife, is, he's on right. Like, he's a scumbag. He's a piece of garbage. He's a lowlife. Like, he has to change. Like, what do you do in a scenario like that where, you know, one spouse is, like, open to what you're doing and one spouse is, like, on another planet somewhere? So,
1: if I have two people in the room and they're willing to show up, I always say that's the best place to start. But here's the thing, the answer to those to that question will really reveal itself in my assessment process, where it seems like there's an imbalance. But, you know, once you start to turn over every rock, look under every rock and turn over every leaf, or as much as you possibly can, because you're also human, you start to learn that what, what's brought to you at its face has has levels and layers to it. And when you uncover the levels and the layers, there's a lot more to the story. So it's a, it, it's a good question because it, it speaks to the complexity of human behavior, human emotion, human thinking, and and and, and relational behavior. So, yeah, I mean, I, I hope that answers it. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. Yes. Um, it, it almost sounds like in each situation, you're really just trying to look at um, all the circumstances that led them here and all the circumstances that are present in this moment. And you're trying to coach them on that basis, not necessarily as siloed as the question question asker was suggesting.
1: Yeah, that was beautifully summarized. You got it. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that.
0: Okay, so Um, the next question we have here is, let's say somebody's going to therapy and they decide they really dislike this therapist, how do they know that it's really about the therapist and what they're doing and their skill set, and not about just deluding themselves and not wanting to have to do the work? And the fact that the therapist is now prying and asking certain questions, therefore they don't wanna to go to therapy anymore. So it's a great question and it's a
1: great piece for people to be able to look at themselves in the mirror and say that. I believe it's the therapist's job, though, to create a certain sense of safety to begin to have that discussion with the therapist. I was once honored being called um, an a-hole in the middle of one of my sessions by um, one of the partners in a relationship. I have permission to share this story, and I'll tell you why it was an honor. So, which sounds like a very strange way to be honored, but okay.
0: I was thinking, like, what names don't honor you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, okay. The reason, well, it wasn't the name itself that was the the the, the or the honor, but it was it was really about the process. So, this guy was upset about something I said or did. I really don't remember. And the wife was mortified. And uh, you know, he said, "Oh, you know, you're a a-hole." And I said, you know, thank you very much for calling me that. I said, said it's actually a compliment. I really did. This is exactly how it went down. And, um, and I said, can I explain myself? And he said, yeah. I said, you know, my number one job in here is to make sure that you feel safe to say anything you need to say. And I said, the fact that you can do that lets me know that I'm doing that piece of my job. And then we began to process why he, why he um, called me that. And it was fine. We processed it. We talked about it and we moved on. You know, I think I ended up apologizing for something that I said or did and it was fine. We moved on. And, and that's where your question gets answered is, you know, have that conversation with the therapist. If you can, if you can't,
0: maybe then it's time to look for another therapist. Okay. I mean, listen, I, I, first of all, I give you a lot of respect for being able to handle it with like such humility and like just continue with the process. I think most people present company included would like would lose our minds. So I give you a lot of credit for that. Um, my follow-up question to that would really be um, I would think a person sits and they, and they go into therapy like this individual, especially for a marriage therapist is using their professional experience to really improve these people's lives. Now, obviously they're not a rub or a pay You're not going with them for a sack. We're going with them for, for guidance to really work out some of the challenges that your marriage has seen. Um, and of course, no matter what culture you're in, marriage is one of the most lofty, sacred parts of life. So if you're kind of guiding them in that arena, I would think, don't you also want them to have a certain degree of respect where they don't wanna cross certain lines? So what do you mean? What's your question then? So so my my question is like, wouldn't, I would think as like, uh, you know, a layman and an outsider, like, wouldn't you think that this individual not having respect, like wouldn't that present an issue in their growing process?
1: So, um, Hmm. Maybe if that's something that they did a lot, outside of the relationship or in the relationship. Um, you know, I felt like it was more important for me to be there for this person in order to process why he felt what he felt. And yes, could I, I, I think we actually then proceeded to say, you know, there might be better ways to express that or, or different ways to express that. Most people won't thank you for um, being called that. You know, Um, so was it a boundary cross? It's funny because I also specifically remember, (coughs) excuse me, I specifically remember saying to myself, I'm not gonna tolerate being spoken to that way in my office. And I made a clear, I I had this great um, person who trained me in emotion focused therapy named George Fowler. And he said, everything you do in that room when you're with someone, It gets done with great intention. And, you know, I felt like my intention was much greater to point out his safety to him and that we can talk about it than to hold the line of making a boundary that you can't talk to me that way. Um, Listen, it it happened once. um, And I'm okay with that. You know, the people that come to therapy are not, in a good place you know and if they felt safe to dump on me once i'm okay with that maybe other therapists wouldn't be right i didn't even view it as i didn't even view it as like a humbling move i just viewed it as a move that could be helpful with this person and it was within great intention that i made that move
0: okay no i mean see i'm asking more uh i guess out of curiosity than anything else like you know, this, you know, this terrain is, you know, new, new to me. I don't have the training out of the background. So like, you know, um, it's always interesting for me to hear like your perspective on these things. Um, another question I had for you, like related to this. So earlier in the call, one of the things that I asked you was, are there certain things that you see as if a marriage endures those things, or is burdened with those things, the marriage has no way of recovering. Right. And, and we talked about it, what some of those things might be. Yeah. So, My question is, are there certain things that you see in therapy that when they come up either between you and the person or between the couple themselves or individualistic issues the person's going through as a point of no return, just based upon how you're seeing the couple interact?
1: So I think the answer is probably the same, right? If, if somebody is, so I would say there's three areas that, that, that you can't really help a couple with if they're ongoing. Certainly uh, the first one would be intimate partner violence or domestic violence, right? That's, that's not something that I would even get involved in with a couple um, because that's above and beyond what, I'm not gonna try to help a couple get bonded and, and, and be together when somebody's physical safety is at risk. That's an impossible thing to do. Um, and not to mention, it makes me a part of the problem. And I don't want to be a part of that problem. The second,, yeah, area, yeah right. the, the, there's two more areas. The second area where there's a point of no return is if there's a third partner involved and, and the partner that has the third partner uh, says, yeah, I don't want to let go of this partner, but I want you to work with me and my partner to see if I can make this work while I keep this person on the side. So I won't be a part of that because um, that's doomed for failure. You can't, there's a saying in Yiddish that uh, you can't dance at two weddings with one behind,
0: you know, (laughs) and I
1: think it's true. If you want to create a bonded, long lasting, safe, secure relationship, you can't dance at two weddings at the same time. You know, Um, we're humans even in the Torah there's no there was always the main spouse or partner and then there was all the other ones. Um, I, I think that's accurate. I could no, be I wrong. agree I could be wrong about that but I think it's accurate. And then the third the third uh, contraindication again is and this one is a little bit trickier. it's not as straightforward but the third one is um, if there's ongoing uh, substance use, um, or an ongoing uh, addiction that, that's untreated. Now, if it's it depends how rampant and how, um, and how uh, ripping through the relationship this addiction is of whether or not the therapy can happen or not. Um, but that's a little bit trickier because sometimes giving a couple like that support can help them through to the next step that they need to get to. But sometimes the couple's just not ready for that support and just doing more damage than, than, than help to begin therapy with a couple like that. So I hope that makes sense.
0: It, it makes a lot of sense, makes a lot of sense. Um, one follow-up question that I have to that is the individual, right? Who's trying to, you know, stick his toes in two edits, right? Yeah. So he has this other partner. Is it worthwhile for you or for someone else to just sit with with this man or woman and have a conversation about, you know, how kind of insane the idea is and see if you can chisel down that wall. And then now you have potential for a couple's therapy. That's something that like therapists do. That's something you do. So are you suggesting that the therapist would sit with the affair partner? Yes. So I would... So hold on, let me just make sure I'm... getting. no, no, wait, sorry. uh, Let me let me just clarify. Right. Yeah. So, so Joe, Joe is married to Bonnie. Yeah. Right? And Joe's in a relationship with Rachel, but he refuses to break up with Rachel. Right? right. Is it worthwhile to have a conversation with Joe as, as a therapist?
1: Oh, so, 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 so the way my process works is I bring the couple in for a two hour session and then I meet with each individual for an hour each. And sometimes I, I mean, I tell people, usually it's just an hour each. Sometimes it might be a little bit more than an hour. So if Joe says to me, you know, I got this woman on the side and Bonnie doesn't know about her, uh, but Rachel. And then I, I might try to help. Well, once Joe discloses that to me, I'm very clear that I will not work with Joe and Bonnie until he discloses that to Bonnie. Because then I'm holding on to a secret and and I, there are no secrets in couples therapy black and white there's no secrets you want secrets you can't come to me so so i will then maybe help joe process why he needs to be doing this and maybe through processing that holding on to this affair partner maybe he can see why it's not the best idea it's not the healthiest choice things like that
0: <coughs> okay um, you know, it, it's a you know, I see this in my practice a lot. It's, it's a real issue where you know, for example, I have one client now, you know very very, very prominent person, has a very important you know position within his community and professionally speaking. Uh, you know, and he's carrying on this affair for a while, and now his, you know, soon- to be ex-wife has filed for divorce, and he's just like, you know, he keeps going back to over and over again, how, how could you do this to the family? It's not in the best interest of the children, you know? Like, why would you break the children apart just to have something outside the marriage? And it's not my position to, you know, to get involved. Um, you know, this individual was not, was really not from the, you know, not from the faith, um, outside the faith, you know, very, very staunch um, observer of another religion. And based upon my conversations, it seemed they were closer to, you know, to their religious leader than their shrink, you know? And I, I said, like, you know, if you're having a hard time with this, like I'm definitely not the right address, you know, maybe sit down with your, you know, priest or iman or whoever that person might be. You know, in our world, it would be like a rabbi and, you know, sit down and try to, you know, process this better. In general, I happen to think that it's better process with a shrink, you know? Um, but, at, you know, agree. at the same time, this person had a lot of respect to their priest you know, and not so much respect to the therapist. I figured like, you know what, like maybe that's the right way to guide them. The only thing I knew for certain is to, you know, encourage this person repeatedly that I am not the right address for the conversation. Right. You know, like, I think, I think it's smart to know when to stay in your lane.
1: Right. And so, and for me, the therapist as well, I have a lane I have to stay in as well. I don't give people legal advice. Right. You know, if somebody says to me, you know, oh, I, I don't know. I don't know if I should leave the house or not because that can hurt me legally. I'm like, I'm like, I don't care about that. I care about your relationship. I said maybe you need to talk to a lawyer. That's a legal. I don't answer legal questions. That's not my. That I am. That's, that's not what I do. I stay in my lane. Right. So staying in our lane is a super important concept, right? For rabbis to stay in their lane, for lawyers to stay in their lane, and for um, therapists to stay in their lane. Now, I, I I know that you're a divorce attorney. <laughs> I, I typically am not fond of divorce attorneys. <laughs> I'm, I'm not lying. It's true. My experience has been is that they cause more trouble than do good. And while I understand that they're representing their client, m- my experience has been uh, that, again, they cause more trouble and make more conflict than less conflict. Now, I'm doing the exact opposite of what a divorce attorney is trying to do. But that's been my experience. Um, I, I know two divorce attorneys that have actually said to people, um, go back and work on your marriage versus let's file a motion. Um, so I don't know. And, and you know what? Both of those marriages are still alive today and this was quite a while ago. Yeah. And they're, they're amazing people.
0: You know, happens to be, I say this in my practice all the time, you know, and, um, you know, I believe as a God fearing person, but my parnasa is not going to come from a couple that can still make it.
1: Exactly. I don't believe I'm making
0: any money from them coming through my door. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but one of the things that I've seen even professionally, like going back to like staying in your lane, I have, you know, I have colleagues who, when they get questions regarding therapy, like therapy, you know, um, oh, because like, you know, this person's an addict, you know, shouldn't they do A, B, and C for the recovery? And lawyers will sit there and answer those questions because they'll say, listen, they're my client, you know, I'm getting billable hours for it, I got to feed my family, and everyone knows there's, you know, something called a therapist that exists, yeah. and it, it's, a, it's amazing You know, my only hope for this attorney, it's a horrible thing to say, is that these individuals at some point wise up and find the phone number for their local bar association and call and make a report. I mean, that's my only hope for these attorneys. But I mean, I can't even tell you how many times I'll have, you know, I I can tell you in a case of, you know, about a case I have now, you have a young couple, right? Um, Basically, the husband, there were certain things he didn't know about himself and the wife. Was unfortunately on the receiving end, very young people. Turns out the guy was an animal. And for both of them, they just want to be over this as soon as possible. Like he wants to put the marriage behind them so he can work on himself, you know, hopefully improve who he is. And then at the right time, find someone else. And like she just wants to be away from this guy. And there's no kids involved, there's no money involved. They didn't buy a house together, there's no right. shared assets. And the attorney that I'm working with keeps dragging this out. He's like, oh, I think your client's trying to do this out of the other. And I keep saying to him, like, there's nothing involved. Like, what do you think that she's trying to scheme at? You know, like, there's there's no money to be shared here. But it, it's crazy. It's crazy yeah. do if they have a client, you know. It's sad. It's terrible.
1: Yeah, it's sad. And I think it's hard to make a case. And people are just trying to survive their lives rather than worried about going to the bar, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah. But I think, like you said... Hashem decides how you're going to earn that money, so and how and how he can make you lose that money. So I think you have to we have to be careful how we earn our money in order to make sure that it's uh, you know straight and honest.
0: Hundred percent, hundred percent. Okay, David, this has been unbelievable. Thank you so much for your time and patience, and uh, I think you're going to give a lot of strength to a lot of people. So thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a wonderful experience
1: for me as well, Jacob. Thanks, David. Take care. Okay. Good All night. the best. Bye. Have a good one. Be well. Okay. Bye bye.